Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. Welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you news and tech from around Ireland and across the world. You can get us on air uh, with RTE every Friday evening or anytime you like, of course, with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google, Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, we also keep you up to date every single day of the week with all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters with our compliments. You can grab them on our website, techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 800. And 52, and joining me as ever is our editor in chief, uh, Niall Kitson. Uh, a big gamer, Niall. You must be delighted that the PlayStation 5 is finally available once more in Ireland. Yay! Ish. Ish. Well, I mean, they were here, you know, for Christmas. Uh, and then they disappeared because everybody bought them. Uh, and now they're back again, kind of. Um, there was uh, a stock of them arrived. Now, this this is in England, so you can imagine roughly the same thing happened here uh, at Curry's uh, that were mm. put up for pre-order. And uh, some angry adolescent decided that they would make a heap of money on the secondary market by using bots to basically flood the pre-orders and make sure that everything that was pre-ordered would go to them so they could resell them on eBay. And these things are going for thousands on eBay for some reason. People just can't wait to get their hands on them. So yeah. uh, what has happened in uh, in response to this is that uh, Curry's has decided that they're going to start vetting their pre-orders. So, you know, making a pre-order isn't a guarantee that you're actually going to get something. It just basically means that you put yourself on a list. And if somebody comes into the store and asks for one, they can say, sorry, we've got a list uh, already. If you want to put your name down for one, that's fine. Uh, here's where you'll be on the list, down the bottom. <laughs> um, so what, what this individual has been doing, and, and this is becoming quite common practice, is, is just to flood the pre-orders and make sure that they get first dibs on anything and, and depending on how many they sell, maybe on eBay or wherever, that's what they'll put the money down for. They'll be mm. sent those boxes, they'll send them on and and they'll be very happy individuals indeed. But no, Curry have started uh, vetting their pre-orders and of course, uh, even better if you can actually walk into the shop and pick up something. Um, yeah. Uh, assuming that the stocks actually make it that far. But yeah, simple vetting of pre-orders mm. has been introduced and it's been quite quite successful because they're, they're looking for things like, you know, same addresses, repeating information, uh, repeating names, repeating uh, email addresses, all this yeah. kind of thing. Very simple stuff. You, that- you will always have that problem uh, with with supply and demand and people wanting things and all kinds of things. I, I remember one of the reasons Ticketmaster, because Ticketmaster have had this problem with people buying uh, tickets for concerts and then selling them on the secondary market. And they're trying to do their best to handle that. But before Ticketmaster even started, there was a problem where um, bands would be touring and what would happen is people would arrive at the venue, they give their ticket to whoever and then that whoever would literally hand it behind their back to, to tout who would take it and then go out onto the street and go, anyone buy any selling tickets? Really? <laughs> That's circular. Now this is the, the now this is back in the sixties, all right. So okay. and that's why our commu- computer ticketing and all kinds of things, uh, uh, and eventually led to Ticketmaster. Uh, fascinating story, but I, I won't get into it. Uh, that's interesting, though. That uh, PlayStation Five is back in the country. I was having a look at Smith uh, just before we came on air. 
which is where I would buy it. And uh, they had a message just kind of saying, look, uh, we're out of stock, but we hope to have more in February. So we wait and see. Uh, what else is going on in the world? Uh, the EU, I have to tell you, is getting very cranky. Oh, We've been we've been talking for goodness that knows how long with about GDPR and privacy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the policy came into place. When did it come in? Was it two years ago? Three years yeah, ago? It's got, it's, uh, we've been living with it for quite a while. Yeah. Well, they're enforcing it anyway. And there was a story out during the week that the EU has levied something like 160 million euro in fines in the last year. Um, wow. Some of those are the biggies. So like, you know, France fined Google 57 or, or 60 million euro, I think. Mm. So that's nearly half of it. Uh, the UK had a big data breach when they used to be in the EU. Mm. Ah, remember the old yeah. days. 25 million euro uh, was the fine there. Uh, and then here in Ireland, uh, the Irish people are very much following up GDPR. There's been um, 6,600 breaches in Ireland, mm. uh, which they have been policing as well. But uh, I think the here's, biggest... Here's the thing about breaches. If you have a breach, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on the hook for thousands and thousands, thousands, right? There are ways to play ball with these things. And I think people should look at the Office of Data Protection Commissioner as much as a service as a punitive body. Because that's that's pretty much how they want to be seen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they will come in, they will audit your data, your data practices. You mightn't enjoy it, but you'll end up with a you know a to do list that will make you compliant. Uh, under GDPR, if you suffer a, a breach, you've got seventy two hours to report it, and they will basically look at it and go, okay, right. We, uh, at least we know something has happened. We know what the scale of it is. Uh, you know, if it's seventy people on an emailing list got sent to the wrong. Uh, got sent something they, they didn't sign up to. Look, that's, it's it's unpleasant, but it's not the end of the world, you know? The mm. response has to be proportionate. So yeah. yes, we are seeing breaches, but we're actually seeing fewer breaches than the previous year. And proportionately, we're actually doing pretty well. I think we're, let's see, I think we're 127 breaches per company. 100,000 people or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, down from 135. So, you know, the message has gotten through and people are having, they are mm. adopting better practices when it comes to, when it comes to your data. And yeah, I, I guess when it looks to, you know, the likes of Google and people are seeing these huge fines, maybe it does sort of create a, an honor system where people are like, okay, I really don't want to be hit with a, a giant fine, even though they probably won't be yeah. for a giant fine. I, 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 I think it's, it's a case of it is it is a good measure for everybody, but putting it in place can be a bit of a pain, especially for the smaller end businesses and stuff like that. Yes. And I'd say that's where a lot of the breaches are coming in and they're just being kind of brought into line, as it were. Yeah, well, it's it's like, what, 4% of your turnover is the is the ultimate um, wow. sort of... That's uh, gonna the hurt. Ultimate. It's going to hurt. It's yeah, going to hurt if you're a small now, I mean, who has actually been, been hit up with that? Not many. Not many. Not many. Um, what else has been going on during the week? Oh, actually, kind of speaking of uh, GDPR, uh, WhatsApp. Um, I'm, I'm, I've also, I've got WhatsApp, I've got Telegram, and I've got Signal on my phone. All right, mm-hmm. and all I'm getting is bloody messages from such and such has joined Telegram. <laughs> yeah, and all of your contacts is on Signal. Everybody's moving. So, like this whole thing about WhatsApp is like you know, ah! and I think. <clears throat> What this is, is just a, um, I was going to say a word we can't say on radio, so I won't, uh, a complete mess up by <laughs> WhatsApp in their communication. Because with absolutely no warning, generally, 
uh, they just went, hey, here's our new terms and conditions. You'll be sharing your information with Facebook. Click now to accept. And if you don't, you won't be able to use the app in two weeks. Yeah. That was just a stupid thing to do. So the first thing that they've done is they've went, wow, people just don't understand what we're saying. And everything's moved out to May. All right. So they've gotten to May to explain themselves um, properly. Um, but one of the things that you can do with WhatsApp, and I did it, is you can make a GDPR request on your WhatsApp app on the phone to find out what information they do hold about you. Mm. And it was a little bit more interesting than I was expecting. Okay. Uh, they have your phone number. Uh, they have your photo. But of course, that's part of your profile yeah. anyway. Uh, they have all of your contacts and your groups, which kind of like mm, I wasn't too keen on. But then again, that's how you communicate with other people on WhatsApp. So it makes sense. Uh, they hold on to your IP address, which mm. I'm not so sure about. Um, but I did. I, yeah, I'm just not. I'm not so sure about that uh, at all. They know the type of phone that you have. It's like, well, why do you need to know that? Um, the operating system that you have, who your telephone provider is. Oh, that's so if interesting. With Vodafone, they know that. That is interesting, isn't it? Now it's not anything that's going to like you know rock my world, but it's like, mm, why do you need that? Uh, and it also keeps note of uh, the dates that you install the app, uh, the dates that you agreed to their last terms of service, and the last uh, time that you were seen on the on the network. Right. That's the information that they have with you at the moment. And what WhatsApp are at pains to tell everybody is, none of that is changing. None of that is changing. They will just continue to have that information. The change is that if you want to do commercial things and buy things and trade money or buy products or da 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 with businesses, which is a new service they are introducing with Facebook, you will need to swap this information that is there anyway with the businesses in order to get that new PlayStation 5 that you're buying from some kid who's got seven of them on, on WhatsApp. Hmm. Okay. That's that's what they're trying to get across. And there are pains to say, we cannot see your messages. We cannot see your calls. We do not see your location. We don't keep logs of who you're calling or who you're sending messages to. We do not share your contacts. We literally need, and the contacts that they have is literally just the phone number. That's it. Yeah. There's no name attached to it. Like, it's literally just, the, and they need that in order to be able to do these financial transactions because they want to be like, is it WePay in China? Yes, yes. And like WePay are making, I mean, you think Facebook are making bundles of money. WePay, put them into the shade. So <laughs> Facebook obviously want a little bit of that action. So that's what's going on with uh, uh, with WhatsApp. And if you want to do it for the crank, you can make the GDPR request on your phone. It's somewhere under the settings on your uh, on your app. That that was what I did this week. I'm I'm calling that Dusty takes on WhatsApp. That's 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 a fight I want to see, Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let's wrap up with uh, one last story. You've got uh, some news on Netflix and a new feature. Netflix are thinking about introducing a shuffle button, which I think is a terrible idea. Do you shuffle. want to know why? <laughs> okay, I'm used to shuffling music, and songs yes. are like three minutes long. Okay, mm. uh, let me shuffle a few movies. <laughs> Go on. Why is it a terrible There's idea? There's nothing worth watching on Netflix anymore. I've I've done it. <gasps> oh, I've goodness. done Netflix. Okay, you finished the internet. Is basically what you're telling me. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't. I uh, Reed Hastings, who's the co-CEO of Netflix, says, mm. you know, they're they're going to trial this thing, and it's going to be the equivalent of Google's "I'm feeling lucky" button. Okay, so yeah. basically, you sit there. I don't know what I'm going to watch. Let's let's just let the machine decide, and I'll enjoy it, and it doesn't matter. Um. But like, I don't want to be served up a Christmas Prince. 
You know, like, here's the thing, right? Multiple but people. But it's going to use the algorithm so it'll serve you up something really nerdy that you'll appreciate. No, it's not, because we have one account that we use across, you know, my oh. account in the one household. And do you not use, do you not use the feature that says who's watching? No. Oh, so I could well, get that's why you're anything. falling down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's more a Nile Kitson problem than it is a problem I, with uh, Netflix. <laughs> I would not be feeling lucky. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you, Nile. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. TechCentral. The Beyond IoT conference for 2021 takes place online on the 25th of January. One of the featured speakers is Sally Eves, who is an expert on tech for good and emerging technologies. She took some time out of her schedule to chat with Niall Kitson about the changing nature of community and who or what will be charged with protecting us from getting into bad company. When one thinks of community, you go back to the idea of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. But of course, uh, in the er- in the era of technology driven society, that's kind of gone out the window, really. Community is kind of where you find it. Absolutely. I would say it's like coming together around, you know, shared values, shared interests, shared experiences. Um, I think maybe a really good example of that. And it's kind of in the tech for good area which I really, really advocate very strongly, but would be something like the HPC Consortium, as an example. So that was a community that brought together people in the research and academic field, independent researchers, big institutions, some of the biggest tech companies, but also lots of startups and individuals wanting to make a difference. And it was really addressing the COVID challenge um, as you were providing them with that power, that capacity, but also sharing of experience, democratizing the data, sharing ideas um, and, and values, et cetera, et cetera. And that made a huge difference, making real tangible process, but also that feeling that you were together and you were doing something and that sense of belonging. I think that was an amazing um, and a real example of you know, collaboration above competition as well, which I really hope can be a legacy, both for this community sense that you were talking about there, but just more generally um, and creating more maybe shared value models around business and society. Yeah, I think we've seen that idea of co-opetition uh, in industry quite a bit, particularly where there is gaps uh, in competencies. I'm thinking of sort of the broadband market years ago, where some companies had excellent penetration and some had absolutely nothing in certain areas. So it became a case of, you know, okay, we're not good at this, but these guys are good at this. So we're kind of seeing this, you know, in industry and in academia, and I guess at ground level when it comes when it comes to you know physical towns and, and cities working together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the rise in things like open innovation as well is is really on the increase, which is helping this as well. But you're absolutely right. A lot of the things that were traditional barriers around geography, as you mentioned, but also around the ability to access and because of cost implications as well, all of those things were bringing them down. I just did a project recently that was using a NASA data set. And that's something normally you just would not have the potential to, to utilize. Um, and there were researchers that wanted to do projects that were more like you know, $25 in terms of cost, but they couldn't get the access to the material to make it happen. Um, but NASA partnered with a tech company, and through that, they were given open access through APIs to use anything and do their own individual projects. Such amazing benefits around climate in particular and some of the research that's been happening along there. So I love the fact that it's enabling not just not just the, you know, the bigger projects to happen, but individuals to make a difference in their particular area of interest as well. So I'm seeing a lot more partnership. Fantastic. 
And you would think that certain industries or organizations would be very protective of their their IP. The idea that, you know, they're quite happy to open it up to, uh, you know, collabor- collaborators and strange bedfellows in, in many respects. Is It must be quite refreshing from your perspective. Oh, it is. Absolutely. It's something I, you know, I wanted to see. Um, and the fact that this is really coming together now is, is wonderful. And I think the COVID experience has been a real catalyst for this, actually. It's really accelerated that curve, you know, not just in you know, digital transformation for business, but this societal focus, this community focus, it's brought people together and it's shown the value of what we can do by that collaborative approach. I really think there's going to be a sea change that in the, in going, going forward. Yeah, we're very much seeing the idea of community evolving, as I, as I mentioned before. And one, one of the enabling technologies to this has been Zoom, which has kind of just changed the way everyone interacts with each other, whether it's with family, whether it's with business, but still people keep those sort of basic social norms. They're just using a, a different technology to uh, to use it. And with lots of positive results. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think there's two aspects to that. So you're right for, for the daily kind of work and living, things like Zoom and other platforms have made that difference to help us keep connected. I know so many teams that do like a little social thing, you know, on a Friday, almost like a, and a show and tell kind of thing in the morning. And you see so much, you know, people's backgrounds, even, you know, you see the picture on the wall, you see an artifact on a desk and it's brought up all these different types of conversations. And so many times I'm hearing from people found out so much more about the people I was working with that I'd never asked or thought about beforehand. So actually tech has been a conduit for that you know, community human connection as well, which has been fantastic to see. Um, but I also think maybe you know, beyond that, things like events. You know, I, I'm involved in a lot of tech events and it's been really interesting um, you know, how so many of these have obviously opened up to be completely digital over the last year. That's been great for democratizing access. The audiences who maybe would never have seen this before because of they're in a different part of the world or because of you know ticket entry or whatever it might be, so many people have been viewing and being involved in this content. So it's opened up whole new audiences. I think it's changed the narrative a little bit around what tech is and what it can do, what it can enable. That really excites me as well. Yeah, there is unfortunately a commercial necessity involved there where we are in this sort of blue sky um, kind of uh, point in this uh, evolution of, you know, physical to digital events. And I, I imagine back again to a, to a certain extent when, when, co- when COVID finally leaves. So do you think there's going to be a stage where companies go, okay, look, you've had your free stuff. It's time to start implementing paywalls. It's time to start thinking like regular businesses again. Or do you, do you think, you know, that genie is out of the bottle now. It's, it's going to be sort of free or freemium. I, I think it will be more of a hybrid approach. Um, because I think I think from for a number of different reasons, I think that we will still have the in-person events. You know, people love that, you know, the socialization, the networking aspect in particular, and, and the, you know, the the occasional, you know, like we talk about the the coffee cooler, the the accidental conversation, that kind of thing. I think sometimes in events, and particularly like in big trading exhibition events, events, that ability to kind of touch and wander around and see something you maybe hadn't intended to see. I think that in-person aspect there is, is really great and really tangible. But the online version has, as I say, broadened the audience that can be involved. The ability to see things on demand, I think, is huge. You can adjust it to you and your particular circumstance, which is fantastic. And to almost go around the sun with new content coming in, I think the quality has gone up and up. So I think we'll see that hybrid approach um, with the in-person events, but really high quality access and streaming. And then maybe there'll be different levels in terms of access. So something will be free to everybody, and maybe some content more for specific streams that maybe will be more for, you know, for a payment or whatever. I think that's still to be decided as we come out of it, 
amount of um, current events. But certainly this hybrid model in so many aspects, actually, I think is where we're heading. But we're looking at the idea of community, uh, you know, when we're talking about these things initially, you're thinking of something that's very positive. But we also have a lot of very toxic communities out there as well. We've got communities based on conspiracy theories, on, you know, demonstrably, uh, demonstrably, provably false uh, ideas out there. So how do we deal with this sort of problem? Uh, do, do we have to combat it with facts or emotion or how do you think we have to deal with this? I think um, a lot of things comes back to education and awareness. Um, AI can make a big difference, I think, in identifying what is you know, fake news, to use that, that, that famous expression. So I think that has a real role to play. But to get to that point um, and to have that acceptance around that, I think in, increasing the confidence and the trust in AI is really important. I actually think what, what we've all been through together as a kind of global community, I think, has actually started to raise trust a number of areas because we've seen what we can do. I mean, tech has probably more than anything been the number one aspect that's kept us together and also been a great enabler for change in so many different areas. Um, but with AI, you know, prior to COVID, most of the headlines that you saw, they tended to gravitate to the scary. You know, the choice of the adjectives, for example, about, you know, jobs in particular, you know, destruction, elimination, those types of words. It's understandable and it, uh, it taps into you know, almost the human nature to, to be resistant to change. That wasn't particularly helpful. It's getting that balance right, isn't it? In terms of things do go wrong, we need to we need to share about that. We need to make people aware. We also need the other side of the coin to show all the good that AI can do as well. So building that trust in is absolutely huge. Um, so transparency around AI and its development, ethical development at AI, all those aspects have really got to come out even stronger. And we're seeing great work on. But if we have that basics right, that foundation there, using it to show where things aren't accurate in terms of the news you were talking about there, I think there'll be more acceptance that what the AI is saying is actually correct. And it's not just you know about AI being fair, it's that perception that it's fair is hugely important too. So I think that's a challenge that we're working on as a community to overcome. And of course, AI will get better as the inputs get better. But Absolutely. We're still in, and we're still in this phase where it's only crunching... A, a very basic amount of data or a basic amount of in, information when it comes to actually understanding people. So we, it's, it still has a long way to go in terms of accuracy. Absolutely. And we need to look at, you know, the data sets that we're using to actually train the AI. You know, some, some, there have been quite a few occurrences where the training data is actually quite historic and there's baked in biases actually there, which obviously negates the benefits. And, you know, there are 180, I think there are human biases as well. So we can't forget that side of things as well. We can actually be baking bias into the data we're using to train um, the models on. So getting that right is, is absolutely critical. Uh, I'd recommend people to have a look and I, I'm going to share some more actually at the Beyond IoT event on Monday. But I'll be sharing some more around some of the, some of the work that's happening around you know, te teams, um, organizations coming together to develop the value frameworks about how to do this right and how to look back at the data sets you're using, but also to get more diversity in the teams that are building the AI. That's hugely important too, and it can help eliminate you know, bias that could be completely unintended but implicit. There's some great examples of that unintended bias, especially when it comes to HR software and, and hiring people, where we had an example with one multinational corporation where they discovered that by using AI, they were hiring just more of the same people because the data set basically said, this kind of person is really good at this, but there was no actual input to counter it. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And some of these decisions can be, you know, really life changing. You're absolutely right. You know, whether you're the person that gets the job or even an invitation to interview for the job. But also there's been examples, I mean, financial services, you know, whether you can get access to a loan or a mortgage or how much you can get access to. And that's been shown to have issues about the data set that that decision has been brought to bear on, too. So getting that right is key. But equally, the explainability. If you do get a decision that, that goes against you, like that loan example for a while, for example, we need to be able to show what that criteria was you know, to a certain extent so that people understand that so they can make changes to then be successful the next time. So that's important too. So transparency around A, but that, but also that explainability is absolutely vital. Part of uh, explainability when it comes to ethics yeah, is the acceptance that, you know, there is judgment that there isn't necessarily one answer. Uh, and that must be very difficult for engineers to process when they're working with well-defined problems. So how do you think companies are getting to grips with the fact that they have an engineering culture, but they have to start embracing uh, an artistic mindset as well? Absolutely. I love the fact you mentioned that because I'm a big proponent for STEAM, for example, um, which um, my, my nonprofit Aspirational Futures is very much focused on this STEAM learning and, and, and tech for good approach. And it's so, so important. You have to be able to communicate um, to get that buy in and to get that understanding there. So you've got that shared that shared um, you know, value set and um, understanding set to work from together. It's hugely important. And we are seeing changes, you know, in organizations at the moment. DevOps might be a good example of this, and that you've got teams from different parts of the organizations coming together. And so the agile methodologies, they're bringing this to bear. So you've got these different voices coming together to help make things happen, and you're making changes quicker as well. So there's much more incremental transformation. So if something is spotted, you can react to it much quicker as well. So I'm, I'm pleased where this is developing. Um, but I also think um, you know things like AI ops and model ops are going to be increasingly important here as well. So taking machine learning as an example, I think it's about 90% of machine learn mod, learning models sorry, don't actually ever get into production. We've got a lot of waste there at the moment. So we need to do more things to build on what we've got and to improve it. So I think that's where we're going to as, as we launch into, into this year here is just doing this refinement piece to really improve what we're working with. I think that's a really interesting way to look at 2021 in general is that it is going to be a year of consolidation and refinement over, you know, making these massive technological leaps forward just because of the way society is constructed now, because we're we're all sort of COVID centric. Where do you see things going in the future once, you know, we are COVID free? Absolutely. So I think, yeah, that the refinement piece I mentioned, I think is important. Things like interoperability across technology is going to be hugely important, too. But I think some of the other trends are and we've certainly seen an awful lot. And there's a lot of talk of this at the moment around hybrid cloud adoption. That's been a great enabler for so many different areas. Um, we've seen greater normalization of AI and automation drawing into some of our conversation today. Also, uptake of technology, maybe in new demographics. So maybe older users, for example, being more comfortable into using alternative payment methods. I think that's a trend that will last as well. And I think now, again, going back to refinement, we need more focus on experience. So customer experience, machine experience, bringing those two aspects together, and making it more personalized, kind of meeting you wherever you are. We've got all these different omni-channels. So it's making sure that, um, that experience is kind of personalized for you. That's going to be really interesting. But also um, aspects around sustainability becoming center stage. That's something that I, I really, really care about. And it's something that's been on the periphery for a long period of time and getting more and more center stage. But I think, you know, the period of the last year it's helped people to reflect you know, where has this come from? What is that supply chain? 
know, we've all been, you know, we've all seen the queues for supermarkets and other different experiences. We've valued things in a different way. Um, so I think that's helped us to pause and reflect. I think embedding sustainability by design being something that's embedded in business models, that's reported on, you want to see the metrics about it, that transparency again. I think we're going to have some really good things coming out of this for these shared value business models for, for digital transformation for business, but also for society at the same time. So it's going to be a great time for shopping local. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was Sally Eves, one of the keynote speakers at Beyond IoT 2021. For more about the conference and to get your ticket for the conference on 25th of January, visit www.beyondiot.ie. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our website at techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson. Thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.